is on with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. And uh, I wanted to just take a minute right at the top to give uh, a reason for this podcast, the reason, the thesis, if you will, for this podcast. Um, I am a scientist. Uh, I work in the field of science. I have a master's degree in chemistry, and my bachelor's degree is in microbiology, cellular molecular biology, and biotechnology. Um, I've worked for some interesting companies. I've done science both, you know, in the educational academic environment and in the industry. And I want to take some time and really focus on a problem that we have in science. That is that we have this issue of failure to communicate with a non-expert, a non-science audience. We have this challenge where we write in-depth papers that make sense, they say everything, they, that you, know, you are exploring the outer reaches of knowledge, but communicating what those papers mean in an easily digestible way, perhaps a, a snack way that somebody might be able to just digest if they're getting off at a bus stop or, you know, have just a second, you know, 15 minutes or so um, to sit down and really enjoy. Um, I want to take some time and really you know, communicate that. And I think that it is a failure of the scientific community to uh, actually be able to communicate effectively with, you know, the general populace. So that's kind of the goal. And everybody has their own specialties, the things that they're experts in. Like, I can't do banking as good as someone else. Or if you put me in a coal mine, I would not know how to, do I swing the axe thing real good? I, I don't know. But my area of expertise is in science, and a lot of people, that is an area that they just don't have that expertise in, and I want to change that. I want to take some time and explain kind of what we want to talk about. Um, we will be talking about Nobel Prize winners, the papers that go into, you know, what makes someone a Nobel Prize winner, um, and, you know, who those big names are and what their stories are. And I want to give, with each episode, at least a little bit of story, a little bit of background um, into why these things exist, why they matter, and so everybody learns a little bit. And we won't just be talking about Nobel Prize winners or, you know, these famous grand grandiose works. We'll, we'll also talk about like some new science, some upcoming science, some old science. Science that has cool stories to it, things that I hope that you know, stories that I know and find, and I want those to be a part of you now. And you can bring them up in a cool party story that you can tell your friends and talk to them about, hey, I learned this really cool science story. One of the things worth doing right off the bat is discussing uh, the different types of papers. Uh, so the first thing to talk about is primary literature versus secondary literature versus tertiary literature. And this is where things might get a little mucky for some people. So primary literature is when you have a paper that's produced directly by the scientists themselves. Oftentimes these papers are peer-reviewed, that is other science experts, other people who are specialists or have related specialties look at the paper they ask you know does this make sense do these graphs really say what they're saying does the data actually point to this as the answer 
And oftentimes, those papers go under, I mean, every almost paper that's submitted through these types of publications uh, goes under intense review. It's looked at by those experts. They send back, here's our notes, here's the things that do and don't make sense. Here's some uh, critiques on things like English and grammar and, and how you're wording a thing here. This is confusing to me. And then it's edited and sent back in. And this occurs over and over and over. Um, I have some published works myself in the field of pharmaceutical research. Uh, and this is a process that I'm very familiar with. I can talk to you now about secondary literature. So secondary literature occurs when you have primary literature that stacks up. So let's say that we have something like coffee. Is coffee good for you? Is coffee bad for you? Um, well, so what might happen is that a review might come out that reviews um, anywhere from like 50, 100, 1500 different papers asking the question, okay, so we have all these scientists that are saying all these different things about coffee, but what do you what does a consensus look like? Do they have, you know, some overlying agreement on if it's bad for you, if it's not, in what cases it may or may not be bad for you? So these are review papers, and these are classified as secondary literature. These are good sources for getting an overall view of what's occurring. Now, tertiary literature, it occurs when you have like a textbook. So a textbook will have like, you know, sections that reference review papers, that reference primary literature, that references uh, the scientists involved and all, but it's trying to give you an overall kind of view of the entire field or an entire subject. And it's very large and all-encompassing. And so we have these varying degrees of scientific sources, both primary, secondary, and tertiary. We also have in science varying degrees of reliability. So let's ask the question, are vaccines good or bad? Uh, why is it that some people are able to find sources for them being bad while other people are able to find sources for them being good? Uh, why is there not just one clear answer? Why do these sources compete? Why does one say one thing and the other says the exact opposite? What is the truth? So we have sources that come from different publications. Now there's this thing that is a huge problem in science that clouds the field of science. And this thing is known as predatory publishers. So when you publish a paper, um, there's a variety of, it, of different situations that you could do. So let's say that I want to publish a paper. Well, I might look at different ways or different publishers that I would want to post my paper through. So I might look at, do I want like a physical booklet publication, which is kind of rare nowadays, or I might look at like, oh, hey, I might do an online a source somewhere that would host my paper so that others could search and find and use my science easily. I mean, the online source has to have some way to make money, to own the servers, to stay afloat and do the things that they need to do. So they have to make money in some sense, in some form or fashion, and that money has to come from somewhere. 
And the place that that money comes from is oftentimes the scientists themselves. Now, you'll usually have grants, or hopefully have grants, in order to do these things. Um, and grants are essentially free money. They're, they're the way that scientists make money. Um, or that they produce something that, that is usable, that they can get patents for. But overall, they'll have to pay in order to get their stuff published so that it's freely available. Now... There are other ways, and some scientific paper is hidden behind what's known as a paywall. That means that the money is not coming from the scientists, but is instead coming from the people who want to read that science. Now, I personally would like my stuff to be available to anyone. I worked hard on it, and I want this to become, you know, scientific knowledge that everyone can use. However, that's not always an option. Sometimes paying those fees are pretty hefty. But there's another confounding factor here that, okay, maybe someone will say, okay, we'll take your paper, you can pay us, you know, a nominal fee, and we'll publish whatever you want. And so they'll take out, you know, the process of paying people to edit and look over your paper, to do that review process that is so important for science, to have another expert or sets of experts look at your work and ask, does this make sense? And so these are known as predatory publishers. And it's not great. It allows for things like, you know, uh, these predatory publishers to just allow anyone with out good data or maybe even making up data to post whatever they want. Um, in a famous piece, uh, somebody decided to do uh, the midichlorians from Star Wars as like a scientific paper and sent it to a variety of these predatory sites. And many times, they just accepted it. They'll take the money and they'll be like, okay, well, your paper's up now. And it went under no review whatsoever. And that's embarrassing for the scientific field. So finding reliable sources is a pretty hard challenge. Um, oftentimes, these predatory publishers will have like websites that look amazing because they pay graphic designers to do that so that it's readily available for people to come by and pay them money and you host their stuff. And it's it is not a good situation and it clouds the field of science. So finding reliable sources from credible journals and, you know, people who may not have, you know, politically charged reasons for publishing extreme views or maybe if they do, it's been reviewed to actually be, you know, justifiable science by people who have varying political beliefs. Um, that is the core premise of what makes science good is having this review process. So we have this issue of, you know, uh, predatory publishers, and I want to show you over time how to pick out what is good and reliable news in science and also communicate what good science looks like because for a lot of us, they hear something and they think, oh man, that sounds great, that sounds good. But when we poke a little bit deeper, well, what do we find? The idea is to make this easy and fun and something that you can binge on and listen to and 
you will know who famous people in science are or what the current work is or oh man those nobel prize winners they're something about them they're pretty smart you don't have to read these papers and it's not my goal for you to do them i hope to explain things well enough that you don't really need to but if you do that you have a better understanding and are able to kind of wrap your your mind around them a little bit more because it takes time and effort to read scientific works and i want to take that away and make it so that science is more accessible and that papers you may not have ever read now become something that you are more intimately familiar with. So that's all from me. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and hey, don't forget your safety glasses.